Good morning, good afternoon, whenever and wherever you may be listening. Welcome to a safe place to breathe. My name is Dave Billington and I am a funeral director based here in Yorkshire and I am your host. This is a podcast about life, love, loss and grief and the lessons that we can all learn from these experiences. A big part of what I do on a day-to-day basis as a funeral director is try to improve the well-being of every bereaved person I come into contact with. And as part of this mission, I want to support honest and open conversation about bereavement, mental health, death, dying and grief by talking to those who have been directly affected to learn about their stories and how their experiences and insights might help other people in the future. Today's guest is Gary Anderson. Gary published his first book, Daddy and the Two Bears, earlier this year, and it covers a section of his life that I have no doubt must have been extremely difficult to relive. Gary and his wife, Michelle, found out that they were pregnant with twin girls in mid-2003. However, due to complications in the pregnancy, both of Gary and Michelle's beautiful two baby girls died shortly after they were born. I think anyone listening to this would agree that the death of one child would be enough to break most people, never mind having to deal with the death of two of their children in such a short time period. In spite of this, Gary has been brave enough to share his experiences with the world and create a really touching and heartfelt book that for anyone wanting to delve deeper into this subject matter should consider this a must read. Gaz, welcome. Thank you for taking some time out to come and speak with me today. I really appreciate it. I know you're a very busy guy. Uh, So thank you very much. Welcome, um, truly, to a safe place to breathe. Oh, thanks very much, Dave. Even just listening to that introduction, it's still, when you hear what's what's happened in my life, losing the twins, you feel it already, the emotion, and as soon as you hear it, you know, it doesn't go away. (laughs) Oh, I'm not surprised. I mean, I, reading the book, Gaz, honestly, going into it, because I knew, because we'd had a bit of a conversation, I sort of knew yeah. what the content was going to include, or I thought I had an idea at least. I felt like I had to really prepare myself emotionally for it. And when I read it, I read the entire book in one sitting because I just couldn't put it down. Like I just oh. read it from like, cover, to, <laughs> cover to end. It took me about probably three hours or so to read it through because um, it's about 200 pages for anyone that hasn't yeah. read it. And um, yeah, honestly, I mean, it takes a lot to to make me to make me cry. I'm not a particularly like um, overly emotional person outwardly at least. But honestly, you had me tearing up at about four or five different sections in the book. Like, it's just so honest. And it really struck me as I was reading it. Like, it must have been quite traumatic to be able to kind of go through all that experience again. Um, How how did you find the experience of actually writing the book? I I actually think, as as maybe sounds a bit mad, I think it done me the world of good because writing that was making me grieve whereas I hadn't grieved for 14 years till obviously Michelle got the cancer so writing it down helped me grieve it had done me the world of good actually you know I'd actually advise anybody you know everybody deals with grief themselves but just maybe writing writing what they're they're feeling down you know it it definitely helped me 100%. Good, good. Well, I'm glad it well, it definitely comes across that it's just super honest, just in a, a very, very just like deep dive into 
kind of grief, mental health, um, and just bereavement in general. Um, for anyone that hasn't read the book, because I imagine a couple of people listening might have done, um, and they're coming to listen to this specifically to hear you talk, Gaz. Um, so yeah. I won't talk too much, but I just wondered if you could give us a bit of an overview of how the book came into being and then kind of a, just a general synopsis of what the book is. Basically, how the book began was uh, in 2017, sadly, my wife got diagnosed with cancer. God, I feel emotion there again. Got diagnosed with cancer. And obviously, it was breast cancer, and she had the operations and definitely think, different things. And she was bedridden then. The thing was, the time she got the cancer was all, all almost about the same time as the births of our twins in uh, 2003. Right. So... What she did every year was go around to all her family and deliver birthday cakes on the doorstep. She'd get up early in the morning, put birthday cakes on all the doorsteps so, so that she didn't, never wanted people to forget the birthday. And sadly, that, that year, she couldn't do it. So I had to do it, and I didn't want to do it. I've got, I've got to hold my hand up. I was very selfish. I just didn't want to do it. I just, on the birthday, I, I wish I could just jump from one and leapfrog a day, if that makes sense at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I had to go and deliver the cakes, and it, it devastated me, to be honest. Uh, it actually, I can remember just putting the cakes on, the tears coming down my eyes and realising, that's how I'm getting emotional here, realising how tough it must have been for Michelle to do this every year, and I never supported her with that, you know? So there was a bit of guilt there, you know, obviously because I turned a blind eye. It wasn't that I wasn't hurting. I just couldn't deal with Michelle's grief. I, could, I struggled with my own grief, so I couldn't deal with her grief. So anyway, I came home. She had memory boxes of Alana's and a memory box of Dana's. And I brought them. Uh, where, where I work, I have a little place where I teach self-defense. I brought them in there. And I looked at all the little claws, all the cards we got from friends and family and lovely messages. I read the whole lot, both boxes. And again, it just brought the emotion out and emotion out. And, and I just thought, how, how many dads must be out there? Because sadly... And there is a lot who have lost children. And I thought, I started writing a few little bit of notes. And I went to say to Michelle, look, I'm going to write something to you to try and explain what I've got, what's what's went on in my, my time since they've lost, because I never spoke a word to her. And she says, well, why don't you write a book? So it's kind of her idea, in, in a sense. Uh, I never thought the book would actually get out there. I just thought it was a book for Michelle. That was the start of it. And we kind of try to come up with a title, and, and obviously, we came up. We always called them our little bears, you know, as like a lot, lot of families do in some ways. So instead of Goldilocks and the three bears, it was Daddy and the two bears, <laughs> and that's that's how the title came around. Uh, and the rest history really just kind of, I'd like to say it's steamrolled. It's been a slow process because although I believe it's a good book and it's a must for people to read it who've not just people who have went through that experience, professional people, mm -hmm. like midwifery students, doctors, nurses, neonatal, all that, because what I did realise when I was, obviously when Michelle was going through all this, the man kind of gets forgotten about. Yeah. And at that time, I, you know what, I was quite happy with that. But it didn't mean to say I was still suffering. I was suffering. Uh, as, as you obviously you know reading, reading, reading the book but I just feel that that's what the idea was for husbands boyfriends and even some ways a sense for partners to read it to understand what's maybe going through a man 
you know, he's not necessarily just broken it off. And in, in some ways, he's dealing with it every day as much as you, but he's not. He's maybe not being verbal about it. I was quite angry if it got brought up. I, I could feel the anger and, and things, which I know it's a normal emotion. You know, in your job, you'll probably see that quite often, uh, especially when it comes to little ones. I, I couldn't do your job, that, that, that part. Definitely not. <laughs> You know, so that's kind of how it came about, Dave, to be honest. Okay, well, thank you for explaining that. It touched on a couple of interesting things there that it's, I think it's really, um, well, as I was reading the book, I did notice that there was quite a lot of references to kind of different healthcare professionals. And I think you're right. I think for anyone kind of working within that circumstance, because I know personally for me, when you got to the funeral director's section, I was really intrigued to see what your thoughts were on how that relationship worked. And I yeah. think your words were fucking funeral directors to yeah. start with. And I, I know a lot of people must think that, but I think sometimes because you're, if you work in a certain environment, you're kind of used to dealing with um, that yeah. situation all the time. So I think it, it'll help people hopefully empathize a little bit more um and i'd be interested to hear a little bit more about your experience really with the funeral directors that you you um you kind of were involved with with alana and dana because you touch on it a little bit but you don't go into a lot of detail on that and i just wondered if you could speak on that a little bit more today i mean for me personally i i, I couldn't speak for my wife but i felt they were quite cold and in, in a sense i i didn't I don't know anything else if that makes sense. This is the first time I've been to a funeral director to obviously for your children. So I, I never knew what to expect. I'm angry, I'm hurt, and everything. So in some ways, you're picking up on people as well and almost mm. just a real emotion. You know, I, I can't even imagine what somebody must have to go through when it comes to children. And yeah, you must, in senses, yeah, you harden yourself to it if, if you want to look at it that way. But most people have children. You know, if it was an adult and I'm going to bury my mum, it's quite normal, isn't it? It's that they went through that cycle of life. Yeah. But a child, I, me personally, I just feel it needs to be a little bit more empathy about it. I don't know if that comes in training or what is it does or it's natural. You know, some people have it naturally, don't know. Does the job just say it's very matter of fact? This is how we have to deal with it. You can't be crying with me and that. But you know what? If somebody cried with you, actually it's more human yeah i think this is a conversation that needs to be held more and there are kind of um there's organizations like child bereavement uk that they've recently they did a webinar with us um and some of the information that they put out is absolutely brilliant but yeah. i've got to say it is limited um out there especially within the kind of funeral directors world in terms of training so i think the more that we can do um to help people and that people. have have lost children the better it's going to be for everybody um, yeah. because it is it's a subject matter that affects a lot more people than i think um most people in the, the public actually give it credit for there's a lot of bereaved parents out there not just sort of parents that have lost children very young as you and michelle did but also at all kind of stages of childhood yeah yeah and and, and death's normal isn't it it's, it's normal as as is yeah, when you get to a certain age, isn't it? So I get that part. But I just think I don't think you can treat somebody the same as burying a child as you can as a grandparent, if that makes sense. 
And did you feel like that was your experience then, that they were just sort of going through the motions? I de- definitely thought that. I just thought, is that just how it, how it is? I wouldn't have really put a lot of thought into, to be honest, Dave. I just thought it was quite cold. That's how I thought. Uh, but again, I know I'd have been probably, I'd have had a barrier around me, don't come near me, as much as not saying it. I would have definitely put that up as well, 100%. Yeah, well, there's quite a few references in the book to, um, to your own mental health throughout yeah. the process. Um, and it seems like that you're a, a bit of an advocate for mental health in general, um, especially for men. Um, yeah, and it may have been that you were kind of putting up those walls but I think something that we should do as funeral directors is maybe not break down those walls but identify that they're there and then look for different ways to be able to support people and whether that's us that do it or whether we're kind of signposting um, people like yourself onto other organisations so that they're able to help rather than it being this kind of closed off where professionals yeah. you're the client uh, loop because I just don't think that's helpful for anyone but thank you for sharing that I just wanted to kind of touch on that little bit because you, you covered it slightly in the book but um, it wasn't something that you went into kind of deep yeah. around don't know if this is relevant it's probably nothing to do with general directors but I tell you what I found hard and I thought were really cold people when it's when I went to register the death of my daughters mm. that it's the woman behind the counter I thought she was just so horrible it was just unbelievable. Just, oh, I'm so sorry you had that experience, Gaz. Um, but that wasn't two. It was the one in Shrewsbury and one in Birmingham. So it was like they were exactly the. It was just matter of fact. You know, there was still wasn't that. I mean, I'm not saying job, and, and probably they see it all the time. But you, you've got to think. Okay, there's a granny getting buried. It's different. That, that, that doesn't take any disrespect of that person. But when it's a child. You know, a three-day-old child and a 26-year-old-day child. And to be heartless and come across as heartless, I think that's terrible, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, that, that sounds like a horrible experience. And I'm sorry you had to go through that. And again, I think this is down to people's knowledge and training in those circumstances and what can be done. Um, and I don't think we're going to answer that today. Unfortunately, no, I, I think conversations like this are just yeah. hopefully going to be able to just make it um, more in the kind of public's purview. So hopefully it's going to filter down to other people within that world and they'll be able to kind of change the way that they work in the future. Um, yeah. So I appreciate you being so honest about it all. In terms of your um, sort of mental health, Gaz, there's yeah. there's quite a bit of reference before, uh, kind of at the start of the book, that you had a quite a difficult upbringing let's say and a few challenges in life before um, everything happened with the twins can you just speak yeah. on that for a minute growing up in a northern town uh, and a dad who was a very disciplinary sort of guy showed no emotion or, or my mother to be honest I got married because in the end days he did get married but there was a child on the way because of the shame mm. and things like that so I can only speak for myself but I, I felt never wanted, and I've just spoken to my brother just recently as well, the first time in 20 years, because we've never been, never talked to each other. He taught me a little bit about his side as well, which I didn't know, to be honest. So, And is he younger or is he older? He's 11 months older. Okay. Uh, so, and what he got, and, and what obviously what happened to him as well. So we were together for about 12 years, and my mum and dad split up. But in that time, I'd been... 
I'd went through some bullying at school and I was quite a sensitive kid, really. And I used to run away from school and that, and I would go down to the beach and play there because it was little, my little bit of self-haven, really. Sadly, somebody abused me down that beach. Uh, as much as I didn't tell anybody about it, it came out actually my own therapy years later. But the way I acted for the, from a child to where that time I went in for therapy was, it showed the way I acted towards people and things like that. But going from school, I was always in trouble at school. Uh, at 16, I had enough of life. I couldn't handle the thoughts in my head. And the guy my mum was living with at the time bought me a motorbike. It was only 50cc. And I thought, it was Valentine's Day, and I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end my life. And I remember coming across the, the little road. I had a plan to go across the A1 and down another bank. But on the hope I would wouldn't go down another bank. I'd something somebody would hit me. So as I went as fast as I could go on a fifty cc, probably thirty five mile an hour, I aimed for a wagon and I missed the wagon. And I had an old Mark. I don't know if you can remember the old Mark II escorts. I went into the side of, of one of them and obviously woke up. The police, the police and ambulance were there. And I remember my thought in my head: there, I can't even do this effing right. Uh, so that's how my head was. I'd be do a lot of risk taking. I'd jump off bridges, climb outside cars. I never cared about my life. Uh, I was getting noticed that as way, way as well, to be honest, because the little shy kid at school and that, I was getting noticed for being getting into trouble and different things. So rightly or wrongly, that was my way of being noticed, not not consciously wise. Uh, and that's obviously that's how I that's how I was for a lot of years. I had a drink problem for a long time. Uh, I ended up in prison. I, I actually broke into, into the police station to try and get my friends out. And I never got caught. And I actually got back out and they got me the next again day. So we got shipped off to prison for a few weeks in remand. Gaz, yeah. you're going to have to tell me a bit more about that. So yeah. that, that, that sounds like a, a scene out of a movie. Uh, so you went into a police station and broke. Yeah, we I'd, I'd been in the nightclub with my pals and our girlfriends at the time and I'd just been to the toilet and came out and my pal's girlfriend said, uh, Michael's outside, he's uh, actually Michael's in the book if you're in the book and that. says, Michael's outside, there's trouble outside. So I, I ran outside and there's fighting, there's police everywhere and things. We'll just start scrapping and Michael got arrested, his dad and other lads got arrested and some of my mates pulled me away. So they tried to calm me down and I said, I'm calm. As soon as let let me go, I ran up to the police station, managed to get through the back door of the police station. It was a horrible thing I did, but I can remember the police on top of my mate and they were beating my mate up. Well, I kicked one of them uh, in, in, in the face, really. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not glorifying that. That just, was just what happened. But I was wrestling with them, but I managed to get back out again and escape. And I went to my girl's friend's house because I knew they would come to my house looking for me. But then I got myself up the next again day because I was going to get caught anyway. Then we got a special court, then shipped off to Durham for a couple of weeks in remand. Uh, me, my mate, and his dad. Uh, but that's what my mental health was like. It's I would, I could be just nice and calm. Then I would just do something and suffer the consequences. I never saw the consequences of anything. But going twenty years ahead of that and getting diagnosed with the per personality disorder attachment disorder and, tra and multiple traumas, it all makes sense to me now the way I was. The, 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 I'm not sure if that makes sense, Dave. That's, no, that it does. Yeah, I mean, there's a section in the book where um, I think you just come out of um, the funeral directors and it's you and Michelle 
and there's some gentlemen that had basically parked blocking the road that they were unloading some grass or something from their van for uh, yeah. someone's lawn and yeah. you you said you flipped in the book and yeah. you you kind of went for them verbally um and then eventually michelle kind of pulls you back into the car and you get to the house and then you and her basically talk it through and recognize that that probably wasn't the best way of reacting to that situation but i thought it was incredible that you guys actually went back together and you went and had a conversation with yeah, West Gents and, and yeah and apologized and i'm guessing that's something 20 years ago that probably wouldn't have happened it may have escalated further than that so i think it speaks volumes that now you've had chance to really kind of reflect on your own mental health journey and what's going to serve you well and what situations aren't going to be working well for you um, and you've just had a bit of a chance to be able to I suppose, recognize what's going to be useful in each situation. And if something does go wrong, then you go back and try and fix it. And I don't think a lot of people can say that they've probably been through that journey themselves. I think a lot of people kind of carry on going down their life's path and never really take the time to properly reflect on their own mental health. No, and, and sadly, I think, Dave, you know, there's a lot of people in prison, you know, and, you know, I'm, I'm not holding my hand up. I'm going to hold my hand up saying, if you do the crime, you do the time. And so I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that I didn't deserve what happened to me. But I think if, again, if you look at people's histories and people in jail and things like that, you've got to know their histories. You understand why they are the way, mm. the way they are. And that can be environment. It doesn't mean to say, you know, lots of people come from a nice home life and can still go down that, that route as well. But mostly it does people from maybe not good upbringings and things like that, maybe a little bit poor education. You know, I'm, I'm dyslexic. I never knew I was dyslexic. I was classes thick at school, stupid. You know, I've just been to a psychologist because I, 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 I know I've got it, but I need to get diagnosed. like ADHD. And that's part of that process where you do things, then you, you think about it later, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, never been able to sit still or anything like that, you know. But I've learned strategies myself over the years to work for me, not against me. And what are some of those strategies out of interest? Because having dyslexia and ADHD, it's not yeah. exactly the ideal diagnosis to write a book, I guess. No, I mean, my wife helped me because she's, <laughs> if you saw if you saw the, the scripts of it all, you, you would have laughed, actually. It was all over the place because my head's so creative. So when something comes to my head, I just write it down. But then it, that could be the back end of the book. Then later on, I'm right in the middle and the front, then back to the middle. So we sat down and went over it and over it and over it and over it to make it into a story together. You know, and because she's, well, she's an ex-teacher, she could edit it better and punctuate it and things and all, all that sort of stuff. So, uh, you know, it's in the family. My, my daughter's got uh, dyslexia as well. So it's in, it's in the family. I did wonder as well, Gary, because you mentioned right, right at the end of the book um, that Michelle gets pregnant again. So you're a father of one child, two child, three children. How many people? Two two children, uh, Erin Erin and Dara. Uh, When Erin came along, I I found it very difficult to bond with her, to be honest, because of what happened. Uh, It used to scare me. I'd, I'd go into the bedroom at night. And if I couldn't see her breathing, I'd wake her up just to make sure she was still breathing. Uh, I've been, I've, to be honest, I've been overprotective of my daughter. 
you know, and I don't think it's it doesn't hasn't done other world a good really in some ways because she said it to me a few times. She's, you know, she's seventeen now, uh, but I think it's just because of what happened really. That, that's the thing I never wanted to happen to anymore. And obviously, Erin had she was born of hot heart com- complications and she's had heart operations and bladder operations. So you're going through all that again, and in the back of your mind, we're going to lose another child. You don't want to think like that. You want to try and think positive. But it's always in the back. Was always in the back of your mind. Yeah, I mean, I think that's completely understandable. I mean, the trauma that you and Michelle have been through with what happened with um, the girls, I yeah. of course that's going to be passed on to the next um, kind of child within that train. I mean, I know from my experience personally, we, me and my wife, we really struggled to have kids um, for quite a few years. And then we eventually did get pregnant and unfortunately we had a miscarriage fairly early in the pregnancy. And then um, when we got pregnant with Nate, um, who's now been born and is healthy um, and he's coming up to two, he'll be two in January. um, We were just really nervous throughout the whole pregnancy because we thought this is going to happen again. Um, And uh, to be honest, I didn't really believe that he was going to be here until he was actually born. Um, and yeah. so I can completely understand from your perspective why you would have things that would be carried along and within that chain. No, I mean, I mean, I mean, I think meeting, meeting Michelle, I know that's maybe not about this today, but meeting Michelle, that, that, that was the start of me turning my life around, really. It that's kind of says a little bit in the book, and that was a part of it. She, she got me to counselling. You know, the counselling didn't work for me. Although I'm a counsellor myself now, the counselling didn't work for me. It was just too deep-rooted. So hence, I went to the psychologist. When I was under the psychologist for eight years, and I met Michelle over in Cleethorpes, uh, El Grimsby Way, and uh, she was from Birmingham. Then she decided to move over here. So I would travel from Birmingham to... Cleethorpes twice a week for my therapy and obviously when the, my daughter's passed it, 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 it hit me hard the, the therapy and that so I used to do it on the phone and the th- psychologist moved up to East Kilbride then I'll travel up to East Kilbride for my therapy and I never missed a session in eight years no matter what happened I never missed a session in eight years I, I wanted to find out who I was uh, who, who's really Gaz and I'd like to think me sitting here with your day day this is the the model of that, that's who I am, you know. Well, that's interesting. That the so the counselor in the book that you refer to is that still the same person that you saw throughout those kind of eight yeah. years afterwards? He, he was a, a clinical psychologist, uh, like psychoanalysis. Uh, it's a it's a tough old. I, I would never myself personally ever put anybody through that again ever because you're just getting re-traumatized all the time and things like that. It kept me alive. Uh, for me personally, I think it was a, it's a brutal. I think there's better therapies out there, but I didn't know any different then. Uh, so it was definitely brutal on me. And, and it affected Michelle as well, sadly, because obviously she had to try and alter her life to try get me well, you know. And what was the, the type of um, like counselling that you feel like was so destructive? What were they what were they having you discuss? Well, it's it's it go clinical psychology and the guy who did it to me was it's a very Freudian, so it goes really back to where even when you're in your mum's tummy in a sense okay so it's back that far it's very cold you go into a room where it's just white as a clock and two chairs uh he never smiles no emotion off him or anything or 
I just found it difficult. I didn't I didn't know any different, to be honest. You know, he was going to set you in me in the end. He even advised Michelle not to marry me, which is kind of wrong, really. Uh, but he advised Michelle not to marry me. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. That's that's a big step to make, isn't it? Yeah, I, I can understand in some ways because, you know, sadly to say, I, my, the way I was, when I lost it, I lost it, you know. And, you know, it, it would be quite frightening to watch from the other side. So I can understand why he, he, he was like that. Uh, but was 20, 20 years married now, so... Oh, congratulations. That's that's a heck of an achievement right there, two decades together. Oh, definitely, you know. And, but I, I, I wouldn't have been here now, to be honest. I, I've got to thank her to start off with. Yeah, I had to do a lot of hard work to get where I am. But if she wouldn't have been in my life, I wouldn't have been here because that was the plan. I was just going to end my life. I was going to go to uh, Kosovo. My mate was a, my mate's friend was a mercenary over there, and I was just going to go over there and just somebody put a bullet through my head. I just had enough of life, and just you, meeting her. You did mention in one of our, a, a previous conversation that we had um, about you doing a time in was it security work or within yeah, Afghanistan? Done, I've done, yeah, I've done about twenty years off and on in security. Uh, done the, the the normal stuff, the pub doors and different things. I, I worked for kind of. Not a bad, he was a, quite a bad man up in Scotland. I worked for him for a few years. But again, because of my mental health, that's who I thought I was. This is what I deserve, uh, to just work with them people. If there's anything good in my life, I, I'll just destroy, destroy, destroy. I just uh, expected this is bad things. I was, I was quite a negative person, really. And when you're negative, you bring negativity back to you, you know? But yeah, I share- agree with that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, there is a, a, it does seem to be, a bit of a um, sort of general feedback loop, doesn't there? The more that you're kind of putting out into the world, that seems to be what comes back to you. And if you're just putting everything out that is very negative and um, isn't going to be something that's like a positive force in the world, then that seems to be what comes back on you as well. Um, it was my norm as well, Dave. I was, it wasn't I was thinking of being negative. It was just normal for to me. So, and negativity in some ways is trying to make you survive, isn't it? Yeah. You're looking at the bad things all the time. This could happen, this could happen. So you're preparing yourself for the worst case scenario, aren't you? So you're ready for it. And that's how my life was. And then you said when you met Michelle, you felt like that started to slowly change into something that was a bit more constructive. Not not straight away. It took a few years to get to get there. Uh, you know, bless her. She had to, like I say, she 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 would go to work because she was a school teacher at the time and come back not knowing if I was dead. That's, you know, she had to live with that. Live at me, just being really, I was really jealous, constantly jealous. If she looked at the wrong person and things like that. So so she's not had a nice life with me, Dave. But, you know, she always said, if you stick to your therapy and see it through, it'll be, it'll be us together at the end of it. If not, I'm, I'm gone. I stopped drinking. I used to be a really heavy drinker. Stopped drinking. I've never, I've never been drunk in 20 years. You know, promised her that. Uh, and, 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 I'll, and I'll do that to the day I die. You know, uh, but she's amazing. She's just an amazing woman. I've never, I've never met anybody like her in my life. You know, if there is a spiritual world out there, she was definitely my angel. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got to say, it comes across in the book as well. That yeah. I mean, the love that you guys have just obviously runs so deep, and she does seem like an amazing person. The way that you describe her in the book as well. I, I was blessed to meet her because she, she she literally saved my life. You know, it's. 
you know, you hear things people say in that times, but she literally saved my life, Dave. Uh, you know, and we're like chalk and cheese. We're so different to each other. Uh, and she's she's just qualified as a, a counsellor now as well, so she's just fully qualified. Uh, so is this something that you are both exploring together then? Because I know that you you said you, you do um, counselling yourself. So have you got kind of a family business thing going on or are you both separate entities from each other? We've kind of joined joined up together because we'd done a just before lockdown, we started to go on to uh, construction sites, talking to lads on construction sites about mental health and that. And because you know the, the background I've got it kind of fits in well there. Uh, so we go there, I'll do my talk. Michelle will be doing the, the laptop of photographs and things like that. Then there'd be a photograph was me and Michelle the day we got married. So the both of us has changed so much as 20 years on. And she said, take me back to that photograph, Gary. So we'll go back to that photograph. She says, I'll say something about it. So then she got up and says, I'm actually Gary's wife. And it just went silent. <laughs> because obviously I'm saying all these things I've done and that, and, and she's still there 20 years later. And then she talked about how it is living with somebody with mental health and poor mental health. Mm-hmm. And like, and I think that's important. I think you've got to look at both sides, not just the person that's going through it. Because I can't remember maybe two or three years of, my journey in that mental health world, uh, poor mental health world, but she, she lived and breathed it every single day. And it was hell for us. So she was telling the guys us and looking out for the signs and different things like that. So that's what we started to do. But obviously COVID wiped that out. And now we're trying again to see if we can get back out there as a, as a double act. Just talk both stories. And because she's a counsellor now as well, it helps. She's a different type of counsellor to me, Dave. She's very... I'm very much, I get people out and about. I go for walking with them. You know, I go cycling with them. I teach self-defence. I get them on the pads and we'll sit down and have a chat getting back on the pads. That's the kind of counsellor I am. And she's probably the opposite kind, but it, it works, you know. Well, I think everybody responds to different things, don't they? Yeah. Um, and if you've got a couple of different approaches, you're going to be able to hopefully help more people because you're just going to be able to reach lots of different people in different ways. But it's interesting that you say about using the kind of physical side of things, um, getting people on the pads and doing sparring and bits of, um, I assume, like um, fighting, essentially, um, to kind of get their energy out. How have you found that's being received by the people that you've done it with? It doesn't work for everybody. I mean, the room I'm sitting in here now is my, obviously my council room. There's one next door, and there's obviously the, the, the self-defence dojo, the other side. It's when you get to know the, the client, and, I'll, you know, you obviously say all the things you want to do and let them choose. I'm not a counsellor, whereas you've got to do it this way. You know, I've got a lot of skills now. I've, you know, I've, I can work with traumas. I've learned NLP, EFT. I do Reiki. Actually, sitting on my Reiki couch here. So when people see me covered in tattoos and things, you know, doing Reiki. So it's all them little things I've learned and try to put together. So I never want somebody to knock on the door and feel like I have to turn them away because I can't do it. I don't mind turning them away. I mean, them don't match because that's really important to, to match uh, if that makes sense. But I want to have a skill to have to help somebody. So I'm always learning new skills in the hope if somebody does come, I can, I can do this with you. Yeah, uh, and I but, think being able to kind of add to your your toolbox so it's big so you can kind of pull from different things it's, yeah. it's going to help isn't it didn't know yeah. i don't really know too much about reiki what actually what does it entail what do you do the way i was taught it's, it's a long story when when the uh, the psychologist 
said, look, you need to go and learn social skills. Because I had no social skills. So I went to, I looked in the yellow pages when Birmingham and I found this woman who had done CBT, so cognitive behaviour therapy. So she was the furthest one away from my house. She was about 12 miles away. There was a lot more before her, but I always go, when I got instant, I thought I'm going to go and see her. And a lovely, lovely old lady. So when I get to this woman's house called Elizabeth, she had a massive Porsche house as well. And I get in, and she's, and she, first word she says, my name's Elizabeth, I'm Gary. And she says, one day you'll work with people that nobody else can. And I just thought, is she mad? <laughs> <laughs> because I, I didn't know, I thought, I don't, I don't know what, I, I just thought it was a bit crazy. So I sat down and I seen the couch and the bed and she's got all these crystals around the wall, like on the wall. I felt a bit sick actually. I didn't realise it was the crystals. So she put me on the on the bed, and even then she's putting hands on me, and I'm keeping one eye open all the time. I'm just putting her hands and that. But actually, it done me the world of good. And it's about energies and things. And again, if, if it's a you believe it, some people listening will believe, and some people won't. But it's about you can go into past lives and pull stuff out from past lives. It's all like blockages, so it moves around. It can make you feel a little bit poorly to start off with. But you might wee a lot more, I might have calls, but it's about stuff coming out of you. Uh, okay. And how's that yeah. been received by the guys that you've been um, kind of helping with this? Because I assume, do you mainly work with men? No, sadly, mostly people come to you, sadly, for counselling. There's women, isn't it? Uh, but I do I do get men. And the company, it's a, uh, it's a construction company called Lambs in Birmingham. They, they're really forward thinking about mental health. So... Obviously, I was doing the talks for them, and they got me to they they send people from their site if they need anybody needs therapy to send them to me. So you get lads that way, but it's, it's about a mix for me. Uh, my wife's just started, and she's there's just been females, but I think that's I think of anybody who's saying it's usually females come more than men. Sadly, but I, my job is and. By doing what I do, I'm hoping I can change that. And, and you don't have to go counselling. It's just about speaking to each other, uh, Dave. So you don't have to be in therapy. Uh, it's about, I'm a big believer, when you feel it, you say it, you know, because then it, it, it stops all that anger and things building up and building up and building up. And something little triggers off and boom. Uh, so now I, that's always said to clients. When you feel that emotion, say it. Say it's bothering you. Because you will say it somewhere on the line. It's usually with anger further down the line. Yeah, and it can. And I think you're right. And it can come out in different ways. Can't it? Sometimes it's that you might actually have something on your mind, and there's something else that's kind of triggering you at that point, and you say something that you don't mean, or you do something that you you didn't mean to do. Um, whereas if you are a bit more open about your feelings, then hopefully you're not going to have those kind of pinch points where you're doing something that you're going to regret essentially. Definitely, and it's acknowledging when you feel low. There's no shame in it. And I know, um, you know, I've lived that life where I was embarrassed, the stigma, the shame, and the guilt, the whole lot of it all going around in my head. What will my friends think? I'm having counsellor. Will the counsellor will they think I'm weak, pathetic? Mm-hmm. I even thought, what, going to therapy, was I going to lose my manliness? Wouldn't I be able to fight again and protect myself? All that stuff will go through my head. So I've been I've been there, but I do know the rewards at the other end. You find who you're meant to be. And that's how I'm a big believer. How many people are out there doing things they actually don't want to do? But because of whatever, you know. Yeah, I mean I I find all of this just fascinating. And because you're so open and honest about all of your 
kind of difficulties in the past and what you've been through with the girls and everything else in terms of your mental health. Do you find that more people kind of gravitate towards you and try and talk about these subjects now because you are quite honest and open about it? I, I think, I wish Michelle was here, actually. She would tell you, it doesn't matter where I go, I could be in a bus anywhere, weddings, funerals, birthdays, people always come up to me and sit and tell me their problems, even before I was a counsellor. <laughs> this, this is why I became a counsellor in some ways. I'd done, I'd done two years training way back, just after the girls died, and it just wasn't for me. So obviously I went back into security and, and I worked as a drug and alcohol worker and I was home and homeless because I'd been homeless and different things like that. And I remember in Afghanistan, and I'm still in touch with this guy, he's, he's a Texan, and he would come up and share his problems with me and I would chat and that. And he wrote, he wrote a really lovely part because I've got another book coming out, a lovely part for the book. And that made me think, you know, Michelle's always said that everybody comes and chats to you and, and, and shares their problems. And you think by the look of me, I'd put people off bald head covered tattoos, but it's it's something I give off. And and I seem to have not looking into theories or counseling, I just seem to have the answers. Or I'm just a good listener. Because you don't need to let, uh, have answers, just listen, you know, don't judge, which I'm a big believer in. And you mentioned there that you've got another book in the works, then you can't tease us, gas. You're gonna have to give us a bit more information than that. Well, the 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 book was or that my my life story's already been done. Somebody wrote it for me. Uh, but obviously when Michelle got the cancer and that, I, I, was, I just wanted this this book to get that. This book was never about money. It was always about helping people. That's all I ever wanted to do. So I put that one on hold and trying to push this book as many times as I can on LinkedIn, Instagram and things. So just keep pushing it and pushing it. So what I've done now is, my life story, I've stopped at exactly the same spot as where Daddy and the Two Bears stopped. So mm-hmm. now I'm, I'm writing a third book now because since 2003, it's two, uh, 2021 now, my life has changed massively since my daughter's died, massively. All what I do and trying to do, and you know, I'm a quite a humble person. I'm even doing podcasts and things, it's not, it's not comfortable for me. But I want to make. I, I want to get out there, like emotional. I want to get out there and talk, and help people, and get people to help themselves. And so th- that's my burden. I don't think it's a bad one. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And I, from my perspective, I definitely think you are. I mean, just the the honesty that's in Daddy and the Two Bears, like, is second to none. And I think anyone that's going through a situation similar. I would encourage them to read this book just to just to know that they're not alone within the thought processes that are probably having. Because I think a lot of people will find a lot of solace by reading the pages that you've written. Uh, I mean, the Southampton uh, University got in touch with us just a few months back, and uh, the lady for the teachers, the midwife, said uh, I'd done a, a chat, a talk to them through uh, uh, through Zoom to the to the to students. And every single one went and bought the book. They couldn't believe, like, from a man's point of view. And they, they, were, they, they were saying that. You never think of the man. And these are students learning that to get into the industry. You know, so it's them places to target. And, well, anybody really, you know. Yeah, I mean, from their perspective, I suppose, the man isn't the patient. It's, no. it, it's the woman. And that's, that's their, um, that's, that's the, what they need to focus on is making yeah. sure that, 
the patient's going to be in the best place possible. But at the same time, we come as a unit when we're parents, don't we? And I think there does need to be a bit of a place for people to look after the men in these situations and just be aware that it's going to be really difficult for them as well. Especially in that that industry, there's going to be, I'd say probably everyone, sadly, will come across a child that's going to die. You know, that's, that's, that's a sad part. So they do need to know, don't they? Yeah, if everything's happy and sweet, like when Aaron was born and Dara was born, there's no need to even speak to me. I'm quite happy there, just happy seeing the little one. And But it's different when we went through so many weeks going to the hospital for Michelle to get drainages and that, and things like that. You know, Michelle went through hell to try and keep the girls alive. And people, you know, this is my own fault. People were saying, how are you? They didn't ask me, I'm fine. Just would acknowledge it. Because you don't want to put your problem, that's how I felt they want to put you on. Because if I start, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to keep going and going and going. You wouldn't know what to deal with that. Uh, well, there was a little section actually in the book that I wanted to talk about today, which I found really poignant. It was um, it's on page 33, um, and it's all about uh, you talking about uh, preserving emotional energy. And yeah. I just thought it was such a lovely way that you've written it because it's something that I've been aware of a lot in my life but I've never actually thought that's that's the thing. That's a subject that we should actually discuss in a little bit more detail, but you're completely right. I think there was, you were talking about a situation where um, you've you're sort of coming in and out of hospital with Michelle with all the various things going on yeah. and you don't want to be a burden to other people and you're still trying to socialise and you're going to yeah. various things and people are asking you like, are you okay? How are the girls doing? And yeah. all you're doing is just staying afloat and you're just saying yeah. like, yeah, I'm fine. The girls yeah. are okay. Whereas in reality, nothing's fine. Not, everything's no. actually really difficult, but you felt like you didn't have the means at that point to be able to project any of that. No, because I, I've been conditioned as a little boy not to ask for help. I remember, I, I can still see my dad. I, I was really struggling in life. I would have been about 16, 17 and I'd been living with my mom at the time. And I went to see my dad. And I remember saying to my dad, saying, Dad, I'm, I'm struggling. So I, I need help. And these words were, you're a man, son. I knew what he meant. So from that, and that, that makes me emotional. From then till meeting Michelle destroyed so many relationships and people's lives. I can't take that back. I've got to take that to my grave, that. But it took about another 20 years before I started to sort myself out because I thought it was weak. It's just a few words, a few words. That's all it took my dad to say that. Oof. You know, if he just said, I'm not, you know, if he just said, sit down, son, let's have a cup of tea. Would it change things? It's, I know it's all buts because, you know, there's buts, isn't it? it? Might not change things. But. Yeah, but I think you're right, though. It's it's about learning from what's happened in the past, isn't it? And I, hopefully now people wouldn't have that same reaction if someone come to them and they're clearly struggling and they're going to be able to actually sit down and kind of open up that space for people and just give them chance to talk or even just be in the presence of somebody else without talking and just know that that person loves them and really cares for them rather than just kind of pushing them away with those few words. Yeah, and it's, it's listening, isn't it? We're here all the time, Dave. It's good to talk. But you can talk for till the cows come home, but if nobody's listening, you're going to stop talking, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Pick the signs up quite easy. If nobody's listening to you, just, oh, I'll just shut up. 
But to do is try and keep talking and talking again, isn't it? And find somebody that you can actually chat to. You know, maybe somebody's went through the same same sort of thing as, as what you've went through yourself. You know, there's great organisations out there just now as well as where men can go to as well, as well as females can go to, where you can chat like this. I, you know, I have done a podcast for Lily May's Foundation, a brilliant organisation just the other side of Birmingham. The stuff they do for parents is unbelievable. You know. So there is people out there to chat to, and not like counselling-wise, just to chat. You know, yeah, I, I think that, yeah, I, I think you're right. It's really important to be able to kind of open up that space um, and just allow people the opportunity to be able to talk. Now, before we kind of wrap everything up today, Gaz, I just wondered, where is the best place um, for people to find you? What, how, if they want to get in contact with you, obviously the, the book, Daddy and the Two Bears, can you can buy that on Amazon? Can it be bought in kind of local shops? Where's the best yeah. place to find that? You can get it on Amazon. You used to be able to get it from the publisher, but it seemed to work really hard and people were, were buying it from the publisher and obviously the money has to go through then the car, then it was taking maybe 10 days to 14 days to get it. So I put it on Amazon, whereas, you know, Amazon's like you it can be there the next again day. So it's, it's all on Amazon now. That's that's where you can get it. The my my organ my company's called Secure Mind Solutions. Uh, so if you put www.securemindsolutions.com, that's where you'll find me and Michelle. Uh, the, the website's getting changed because obviously Michelle's coming on board as well. Uh, hence trying to go out there as speakers to, to talk about bereavement, to talk about mental health, to talk about cancer, because obviously Michelle's come through that journey of cancer. And just changed her whole career since then, packed in the deputy head and become a, a counsellor now, you know, uh, to help others as well. Well, uh, I'm glad that she's joined you. It sounds like you guys are going to make an amazing team together. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for your time today, guys. I really appreciate it. Um, and as I said at the beginning, I recommend this book to anyone that wants to kind of delve deeper into this subject matter. It's definitely a must read. Um, and I look forward to your next one. Oh, thanks very much, Dave. All the best. Okay. Take care, guys.